Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Cedar Shove It. I'm your host, Greg, and I'm here again this week to give you my thoughts on the latest movies playing in theaters and streaming on your TV. Also this week, Be Kind Rewind looks at the film you voted for. For our featured movies this week, director Martin Scorsese returns to theaters with his latest opus, Killers of the Flower Moon. Two women go through hell while trapped in Australia in the Royal Hotel. Nicolas Cage goes on a buffalo hunt in Butcher's Crossing. And a couple has to make a decision that can forever change their future. Info. Let's get started. We begin this week with a film about a string of mysterious deaths ravaging a native territory. This is Killers of the Flower Moon. Well, we mix these families together, and that state money flows the right direction. It'll come to us. Shomikasi. That's how you are. I don't know what you said, but it must have been Indian for handsome devil. (laughs) Why did you come here? I work with my uncle. You scared of him? Oh, he's he's the nicest man in the world. The Osage. Their time is over. We got to take back control of our home. Based on David Grun's nonfiction book of the same name, Oscar winner Martin Scorsese tells the story of a string of murders ravaging through a community of Osage natives. One by one, community members are being found murdered, and the events are hardly being prioritized by the local law enforcement. Suspected in the murders are encroachers who are aiming to take over the land for its plentiful supply of oil. The Osage tribe was previously forced off its land to what was considered a wasteland in Oklahoma. It was after that that they discovered the treasure they were now living on. Bridging the gap between the Osage tribe and the white men seeking to take their land is William King Hale, known to the community as King, played by Oscar winner Robert De Niro. A local cattle farmer, William plays both sides of the fence, all while lining his pockets with wealth. King is soon joined by his nephew, Ernest, played by Oscar winner Leonardo DiCaprio, a war vet returning home and seeking a chance to get respect from his powerful uncle. Ernest starts as a driver in town where he meets Molly, played by Lily Gladstone. They fall in love and marry, and soon members of Molly's family are found murdered one by one. Growing suspicious, Molly begins bypassing law enforcement and begins her own investigation, even going as far as traveling to Washington, D.C. to ask for help from the FBI. Soon after her return, Molly develops diabetes and becomes a target herself as William and his henchmen begin to find ways to keep her silent. Will the federal government be able to catch the killer before it's too late for Molly? When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it, and... I give this film a... See it. This film was stunning. If you are a regular listener, you know my aggravation with excessively long movies. And at 3 hours and 27 minutes, this one is definitely long. However, almost every minute counted, especially after it got past the first 45 minutes of story building which was the only part I would say could have used a trim here and there. Once the story and mystery got rolling, it is one compelling piece of film. 
Scorsese is a master of telling crime stories, and he steps out of his comfort zone of mafia crime and steps into the true crime area focusing on a strikingly contemptible piece of American history. All the technical aspects of the film are top-notch, as one would expect with a Scorsese film, as are the performances, especially De Niro, who has not given this strong a performance in years, and Gladstone, who can 100% count on earning her first Oscar nomination for this role. You cannot take your eyes off of her whenever she is on screen. Her nonverbal acting is masterful, and she can tell a story with facial expressions that will break your heart. I hope this is just the beginning of a lengthy mainstream career for her. Often, true historical epics tend to slog along and feel like I'm in a history lecture class. This film does not do that and plays out like the mystery it is. It is excellent, and I hope it has a big impact at next year's Academy Awards. Clear an afternoon or an evening in your schedule and go see it. Next, two women get stranded overseas and are forced into unsafe territory. This is the Royal Hotel. Cider? Yeah. Uh, Dickens? Dickens Cider? <laughs> They're disgusting. It's a tip. That's enough. Come in, go. Hi. We're leaving. We're out. Where are you going to go, eh? Bus is not for two days. I'm scared of everyone and everything in this place. Make what you can. Get on the bus and go. Director Kitty Green reunites with Julia Garner, who, along with Jessica Henwick, play friends Hannah and Liv, who are on vacation in Australia and realize they are out of money and have no way back home, mostly thanks to Liv's excessive drinking and partying. This leaves them with no other choice than to take up a temporary job tending bar at a place called the Royal Hotel, an isolated watering hole that is so far into the outback that it takes a train, then a bus, and then a car to get to. In fact, it seems to be the only place in this area. The pub's owners, Billy and Carol, played by Hugo Weaving and Ursula Jovich, are often charming and understanding, yet prone to violent outbursts, especially with Billy's apparent alcoholism. This makes for a tense environment for Hannah and Liv. Liv begins enjoying being the center of attention at the bar where locals begin pawing over her, including Teeth, played by James Frencheville, Maddie, played by Toby Wallace, and the creepy Dolly, played by Daniel Henschel. Their presence and obnoxiousness gives Hannah an overwhelming sense of dread, and she wants to leave immediately. Of course, Liv doesn't mind and convinces her to stay a few days so that they can make enough money to go home. It isn't long before the men become more comfortable harassing the women, putting their lives in danger. When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it. And I give this film a... Mild see-it. I thought I would like this a lot since the trailer seemed right up my alley. However, I found the film dragged for the middle part where almost nothing of substance really happened. This lasted a good half hour, a third of the film's length, which was far too long of a stretch for nothing exciting to happen. But once things picked up, they really picked up and the tension went into overdrive. 
But unfortunately, I knew how long the film was, and when I looked at my watch, I thought, there is an awful lot to wrap up in just the next ten minutes. And the ending felt extremely rushed and somewhat unresolved. As uneven as the storytelling was, the acting from the two leads was incredible. Garner and Henwick developed their characters so well that their friendship was definitely believable. I wouldn't rush out to see this, but I think it will play better on TV, and once it hits streaming and you come across it, if you're a fan of low-budget indie films, you might enjoy this one. Next, a man begins an emotional downward spiral after joining a team of buffalo hunters. This is Butcher's Crossing. Dear father, I decided to leave Harvard and travel west. I hope to find a stronger purpose and more meaning in my life. What can I do for you? I would like to go on a hunt. This will be one of the biggest hauls anyone has ever seen. Where are we going there? So you are God fearing man yourself. Why fear God? Fred Hetchinger plays a young man named William Andrews, an eager, adventurous wanderer who has left Harvard in 1874 with dreams of going west and working for a buffalo-hunting business owner named McDonald, played by Academy Award-nominated actor Paul Racy. William wants the real-life experience of working hard in the wilderness. McDonald thinks William is too straight-laced to survive the wilderness and the brutal winter. But William perseveres and joins Miller, played by Oscar winner Nicolas Cage. Miller is a well-known buffalo hunter who has his sights set on a valley in the Colorado Territory that was teeming with buffalo, unlike the prairies of Kansas that have now been depleted of the massive creature. Using William's money in exchange for the chance to hunt, Miller assembles a team of hunters including Fred and Charlie, played by Jeremy Bob and Xander Berkeley. Will the team survive the brutal trip? I give this film a mild see it. Like the other western this week, Killers of the Flower Moon, this one slogs along at a leisurely pace. However, unlike that film, this one is half the runtime and feels much longer. And I think the man who was sitting in the row ahead of me snoring away would agree. So why on earth do I recommend it? Because the final act saved it. The final 30 or so minutes were so tight, quick-paced, and suspenseful that for me, it made the film worth watching. Some of the scenes were gorgeously shot, and Cage brings his usual intensity. One thing, though, about the cast. Paul Racy was unbelievably bad in this. He was so incredible in his Oscar-nominated role in 2020 Sound of Metal, here, he is a caricature and overacts so much, it was shocking to me that this was the same actor who was so quiet and tender in Sound of Metal. Do I recommend you rush out to see it? No. But if you like westerns, you might enjoy this. Finally, a couple faces a challenge when one of them is selected for an experimental life in space. This is Foe. And... Expecting anyone? 
When the film opens, we soon discover the couple here, Junior and Hen, played by Oscar nominees Paul Mescal and Saoirse Ronan, are miserable. They have clearly fallen out of love and have a distant relationship. It is set in the year 2065, and Earth has been decimated and suffering from years and years of no rain. Their farm is useless, and this has clearly had an impact on their relationship. People have begun to colonize in outer space, and the government is looking to form an army to help build their new spaceship. One night, the couple gets a visit from a stranger named Terence, played by Aaron Pierre. He is there to recruit Junior and gives them very little time to make a decision. Complicating the decision is the fact that a clone of Junior will be left behind to keep Hen company. This causes even more strife in their marriage, and the film explores the impact it has. When I saw the trailer for this, I predicted it would be a see-it. And I give this film a... Shove it. What a disappointment this was. It is stunningly off the mark for the usually reliable Ronan and Mescal. This film was incredibly boring and lacking in suspense or action. For a sci-fi thriller, there was a stunning lack of science fiction... Occasionally some spaceships peeked in and there was an attempt at intensity involving the clone, but overall, this just did not work for me on any level. The director of this is Garth Davis, the very same director of the highly emotional and quite effective 2016 film Lion, starring Dev Patel and Nicole Kidman in Oscar-nominated roles. Trust me, no one needs to clear off space on their mantle thinking they're going to be getting awards for this one. This is an Amazon Studios release and will come and go from theaters before landing on Prime Video likely sooner rather than later. And even when that happens, go ahead and skip this. It is a snooze fest. That's it for this week's featured films. To recap, Killers of the Flower Moon is in theaters now and is a see it and it is my pick of the week. The Royal Hotel is in theaters now and is a mild see it. Butcher's Crossing is in theaters now and is a mild see-it, and Foe is in theaters now and is a shove-it. Now, on to my brief take of some additional movies I've watched this week in my segment, Quick Picks. Oscar winners Anne Hathaway and Marissa Tomei join Peter Dinklage in She Came to Me, a film about an adulterous man whose offense throws his entire life into disarray. It's a film with strong potential but filled with half-baked ideas. Ultimately, it was just underwhelming and is a shove-it. It is currently playing in theaters. The animated The Canterville Ghost is an entertaining enough seasonal flick that is based on a short story by Oscar Wilde and features the voice work of Freddie Highmore, Hugh Laurie, and Oscar nominee Imelda Staunton. It's pretty harmless stuff that is told in an entertaining way. It is currently in select theaters and is a see-it. The Other Zoe stars Josephine Langford, best known for her role in the After film series, 
and Drew Starkey, known for his role on the Netflix series Outer Banks. It tells the story of mistaken identity and deception. It's a light-hearted rom-com that, while pretty lightweight and predictable, was an, an enjoyable enough way to spend a few hours in the theater. It is playing in theaters and is a see-it. Finally, Dick's the Musical is an irreverent musical romp starring Josh Sharp and Aaron Jackson as twins separated at birth by their very odd parents, played by Megan Mullally and Nathan Lane. The two try to scheme their way into bringing their parents back together. Think of it as a filthy musical version of The Parent Trap. While the music was fun and humorous, the story was just too out there for my taste. And trust me, I'm not a prude by any stretch of the imagination. But this just kept pushing the envelope and pushing the envelope to the point where even I was just like, okay, this is going too far. It is playing in select theaters and is a shove it. Let's move on to the segment where I let you know the latest titles now available for home viewing. It's time for now streaming. Somewhere in Queens is a charming adult dramedy starring Ray Romano and Oscar nominee Laurie Metcalf about a man doing everything he can to protect his son from the disappointments of life. I loved this film when I saw it, and you too can now see it streaming on Hulu. To hear my full review, listen to episode 76. Joel Edgerton and three-time Oscar nominee Sigourney Weaver star in director Paul Schrader's Master Gardener, a film about a man seeking redemption in an environment tempting him to return to his old ways. It has compelling performances and is interesting for the most part. It is streaming soon on Hulu beginning Thursday, October 26th. To hear my quick pick thoughts, listen to episode 82. And the recent horror hit Nun 2 struck gold at the box office, but not with me. I found it dull, poorly written, and unscary, much like its predecessor. It has fast-tracked to streaming just in time for Halloween and will be on Max beginning this Friday, October 27th. To hear my full review, listen to episode 107. And now it's time for my segment where I look at films from the past. This is Be Kind, Rewind. Continuing on my series where I take the 52-week movie challenge, this week's topic was a foreign film, and your choices were Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, E tu mama tambien, or Trois Colors, Bleu, Blanc, Rouge. You voted and you chose... Trois Colors, Blue, Blanc, Rouge. Symbolically based on the colors of the French flag, the three films from director Christophe Kieslowski are based on the three political ideals of the French Republic, liberty, equality, and fraternity. Released over the course of a year, the first up was Bleu on September 8, 1993, starring the always incredible Oscar winner Juliette Binoche as Julie, a woman who is grieving the death of her husband and daughter following a car accident. 
Following the theme of liberty, the film takes audiences on Julie's journey to rebuild her life after a traumatic experience by living life anonymously and without love in the city of Paris. Her plan is stalled by people from her life after they begin reappearing, showing her the purpose she has in her existence. Binoche received a Golden Globe nomination for her performance. The next release was Blanc on January 26, 1994, this time centering on the theme of equality. Blanc focuses on a Polish immigrant named Carol, played by Zbigniew Zamachowski. Carol is down in the dumps after losing his marriage, job, and country following his divorce from Dominique, played by Oscar nominee Julie Delpy, who wants out after Carol suffers from impotence and cannot consummate their marriage. He is forced to leave France and ends up working with a Polish expatriate named Mikola, played by Janusz Gajos, who helps sneak him back into their homeland on a journey that is anything but smooth. The final film in the trilogy is Rouge, released on September 14, 1994, starring Irene Jacob as Valentine, a model living in Geneva. After she runs over a dog, she meets a retired judge named Joseph Kern, played by Jean-Louis Tritignon. Kern is the owner of the dog and doesn't seem overly affected by the injury it has sustained, so Valentine decides to keep the dog and seek medical care for it. The next day, the dog walks Valentine back to Kern, and the two begin a contentious relationship after Valentine catches Kern eavesdropping on his neighbors. The rest of the film focuses on the theme of fraternity and shows how the characters are interconnected and the relationship they form when at first appearing to be vastly different from one another. This film would end up as Kislovsky's final film as the director passed away two years later on March 13, 1996. Rouge was the most successful of the trilogy thanks in part to its success at the 67th Academy Awards, where it was nominated for Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Cinematography. Trois Colors, Bleu, Blanc, and Rouge are all available to stream on Max. The next Be Kind Rewind topic is a holiday film. Your choices are The Muppet Christmas Carol, Miracle on 34th Street, or National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Come to my Instagram at theatershoveit to vote for which film I should focus on, and the post with the most likes will be next week's segment. So, that's it for this episode of Theater Shove It. As always, thank you so much for listening this week. Support your local theaters by going to see some of the movies I reviewed this month, and while you're at it, share my podcast with your movie and TV-loving friends and family. Don't forget, you can drop me a line at theatershoveit at gmail.com and let me know of any ideas or suggestions. And you can follow me on Instagram and Letterboxd at theatershoveit and rate me wherever you get your podcasts. Come back next week to hear reviews of Five Nights at Freddy's, Anatomy of a Fall, and Freelance. I'll be back then, and I hope you will be too. Until then, take care, everyone, and have a great week. This episode of Theater Shove It was recorded in Orlando, Florida, and is produced by Gregory G. Productions. Music by Mysterio Music. All rights reserved.